Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jenikin. Desi, do you want to start out the show by thanking some of the lovely people who subscribe to our Patreon? I would. These people went to patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene and became subscribers. Just, uh, I think you can do as little as $1, but you get content when you do $5 a month. Yeah, if you do $5 or more, you get bonus content, not available on this feed. You will get after shows, cute little bonus episodes. We've recapped very special episodes. We have um, a mystery and macabre show at the ten dollar level. You can access our Discord server, and we even recapped porn back in twenty eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel blurts in. <laughs> um, we, yeah, we did. We used to do that. We, <laughs> we we'll do it again we'll one day. We'll do it again. We got to find the right one. Yeah, we have some ideas. Be special. Um, yeah, it's, it's good times. You're supporting the show and that's a nice thing to do. Thank you. Who did it this month? Well, we have Brandy, Jesse, Bella, Felicity, Claire, Tracy, Shelby, our Reese, our bird, Lisa, Roslyn, Natalie, Misty, McKenna, Hunter, Trish, Cassie, Donovan, Alice, Madeline, Anthony, Keith, Rhiannon, Amy, Trish, Shan, Junkyard Honey, Kimberly, Courtney, Sam, Lena, Anne, Adam, Avery, Courtney, Karen, Anne, Madison, Amanda, Matilda, Erica, Sarah, Taylor, and Jonathan. Thank you all very much. Desi, this week we will be discussing the guy who is named after, wait, the, the park, the guy, <laughs> I didn't write an intro for this. We're talking about Griffith J. Griffith. The man who inspired the name for Griffith Park. Well, he demanded it be called Griffith. Oh, he, well, we'll get to that. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> now... If you're a Patreon subscriber, if you're a lo- if you're an old head, or if you've gone through our entire catalog of of Patreon content, you may remember a bonus episode we did about haunted Hollywood. Mm-hmm. No, it was haunted Griffith Park. That it Ooh. was. We focused only on why Griffith Park is haunted. Okay, we did not go into Griffith J. Griffith's story. So that's what we're talking about today. But if you'd like to know some examples of how Griffith Park is haunted, Search please for it. go. <laughs> I I I actually re-listened to it just to make sure that I wasn't going to repeat myself at any point today. Oh, okay, and trust me, I'm not because 
um, we talk about some real dumb bitch things. Yeah, I in, vaguely remember in that episode. <laughs> is there something with you and a bike? Well, yes, there is, Desi. <laughs> okay, so that's a good teaser. That's a good teaser. Anyway, my main sources for this episode are old issues of the Los Angeles Times and a book that I, I got a little bit of information from about Griffith J. Griffith's earlier life called A Benefactor Tragedy starring Griffith J. Griffith by Paul McClure. That sounds like a self-published book. It kind of is. <laughs> this guy actually has a lot of books about various historical oh. kind of figures like this. Yeah. Very... Um, very concise and easy to um, parse through the information. Oh, good. So I appreciate like that. It. Griffith Park is one of the largest urban parks in the United States. It is 4,310 acres of rugged terrain, hills, trails, paths in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles. On any given day, there are hikers, cyclists, and horseback riders making their way through the sprawling landscape. When I used to ride my bike all the time, I'd often complete a 20-mile ride from downtown Los Feliz to the top of the hills and back down the other side. Wow. Just to give you an idea of how sprawling this is. Very. It's very big. As we discussed in a 2018 Patreon episode, the park is said to be haunted by the ghost of its one-time owner, Don Antonio Feliz. Griffith purchased the park in 1882 and was reportedly so scared of the ghost that he donated the park to the city of Los Angeles as a Christmas present four years later. Wow. But who was the man behind the park's namesake? Hmm. Well, he was born Griffith Jenkins Griffith. His parents were like, eh, let's (laughs) double up. (laughs) I... I was shocked when I read this because I thought surely this man has a different first name. Yeah. And that he later just decided he was going to be his last name and a middle name. Nope. His parents picked it. His parents his parents were too tired. He did have a lot of siblings. They ran out of names. So I think they ran out of names or the mom was just exhausted. Yeah. She's like, Griffith is fine. <laughs> Come on. You know, I, I can only remember one more last name. That's it. <laughs> he came from a poor family in South Wales. He was born on January 4th, 1850. And he came to the United States as a teenager in the 1860s. And he settled in Ashland, Pennsylvania. Griffith went to journalism school in New York and began working in the newspaper business His career took him to San Francisco in 1873, where he worked as the manager of the Herald Publishing Company. A few years later, he became a correspondent at Alta California, which was a local paper covering the world of mining. Why did he take a position as a reporter when he had once been a manager of a publishing house? Because it was the 1870s and mining was hot. Yeah. People loved mining. It was the way to go. I mean, <laughs> as discussed in our Tombstone episode. Yeah. They were like, get that stuff out of the ground. <laughs> we got spurs to make. We got to start sifting things. We got to make horseshoes. Yeah. 
Everyone was mining and there was a lot of money to be made. He wanted to be close to the action. His reporting took him across the western United States and he soon became an indispensable figure in the mining world. A group of stockholders hired him to report on a mine in Virginia and paid him handsomely. By the 1880s, Griffith was investing in his own mines, and he would soon amass a fortune. Nice. In 1882, Griffith purchased 4,071 acres of what was then known as Rancho Los Feliz. It's not clear how much money he paid for the land. One source estimates $8,000, which is about $250,000 today. Another source, a historian named Edwin Curl, says that Griffith paid $50,000. So that's Either a lot way, of money. A good deal. A good deal for <laughs> Griffith Park. Yeah. He relocated to LA to live life as a rancher on his new sprawling property. Over the next few years, Griffith was all about that ranch life. He raised livestock, grew crops, he even had an ostrich farm. <gasps> The ostriches were a very popular tourist attraction. There was a railway that was built to take tourists from downtown L.A. into the ostrich farm. Wow. They're cool looking. Yeah, they are pretty cool. Yeah. And then also the ostriches were popular because ladies liked them in their hats. Oh, like yeah. The feathers. Big plumes. The big ostrich plumes. In January 1887... Griffith married Tina Mesmer, a wealthy socialite. The Mesmer family had been in Los Angeles since 1859. Tina was born in 1864. Christina's father, that was her proper name, but yeah. she was known as Tina. Her father, Louis, once owned a bakery downtown. And at the time, it was the only bakery in L.A. to sell matzah. <gasps> Yum. And the Mesmers weren't even Jewish. I would love to have a fresh piece of matzah. Yeah, Do you I wonder. Know what I, mean? I like wonder. <laughs> I've only had it in a box. How much better is it than actual matzah? Because matzah is terrible. I mean, I like matzah. I'll eat it, but the reason I'll eat it is because when it's time for matzah, I'm slathering butter all over it. That's true. But don't you love to have a fresh piece of matzah <laughs> straight from the oven? If someone had baked it for me, yes. Because it's probably so good and crunchy, not like a little soft. And it can be kind of soft if you get that stale piece. Yes. I like, I like matzah. It's really bland. I love to put butter and salt on it. Mm. It's good. Yeah. I mean, I'll eat a ton of it. It's not like I'm like, ooh, I want matzah day to day. It's more about the ritual and the toppings. Yes, absolutely. Or making matzah brai, which is basically where you make French toast out of matzah. Yeah. And that's good because it's also sweet, fried in butter. Yeah. Anyway, this family, this guy saw an opportunity to make some money. He's like, ah. Fresh matzah. Fresh matzah. <laughs> I honestly don't know how many Jewish people were in Los Angeles in the late 1850s. At least one because this guy is selling the matzah. Honestly, like, how, like, there must have been like two Jewish people in LA at that time. But why would he sell it if there wasn't more? That's wild to me. Yeah. Anyway, he's selling matzah. The Mesmers themselves... Um, oh, I said that. Okay, so after running this bakery for two years, he sold it and bought a hotel. The Mesmer family became very wealthy through their real estate dealings. 
Griffith often stayed at Louis Mesmer's hotel downtown, and that's where he met Tina in 1886. Griffith was well aware just how wealthy the Mesmer family was, and Tina was about to inherit a large piece of property that had been left for her by a family friend. Tina and Griffith soon became engaged, but Tina's brother Joseph was very suspicious of Griffith, once calling him a, quote, pretend millionaire. Whoa. He didn't like Griffith. But Griffith's rich, too. Or maybe not. Well, that's what's crazy about this, is because Griffith does have a lot of money, but he definitely is very greedy. Yeah. He needs to get more, more. He wants more money. Yeah. Joseph, Tina's brother, claimed that Griffith just saw his sister as a trophy. Hmm. For a brief time, the engagement was called off. Stories as to why vary, but according to Joseph Mesmer, Griffith called off the marriage 10 days before the wedding because Tina said that she was going to split her inheritance with her sister. And he's (sighs) like, no, we need all of it. Wow, he is greedy. Yeah. The property that Tina inherited was the Briswalter Tract, named after the man who left it for her. This tract was 260 acres and began at Washington Boulevard and San Pedro Street. A Little Caesars pizza stands there today. <gasps> pizza, pizza. Pizza, pizza. <laughs> uh, it obviously extends far beyond that. But so where that's is that? Like South Central. South Central, okay. After they were married, Griffith managed to get his wife to sign the land over to him. It was later reported that at the wedding breakfast, Griffith got up from the table and ran down to the courthouse where he transferred his new wife's property deed over to her brother and then immediately over to himself. He did this so that he could, according to Tina's brother, so he could truthfully say he got no property from his wife. Wow. He's, he just left the wedding. He left the wedding <laughs> breakfast. He's, he has no chill. <laughs> no. Griffith was now not only wildly rich, but had ascended the social ladder of Los Angeles because of this marriage to the the Mesmer family. At this time, Griffith and Tina and their young son, Vandal, were living in the... (laughs) Vandal? Vandell, actually. (laughs) He, He goes by Van. Okay. Vandell were living in the downtown hotel owned by the Mesmer family. But not everyone liked Griffith. He was thought to be kind of a dick. I mean, so far. Yeah. He seems kind of weird. It's going to get worse. Okay. At some point, he began referring to himself as Colonel Griffith. Oh, boy. He gave himself that name. Never a good sign. He was not in the army. He was not a colonel of any sorts. Even of chicken. (laughs) (laughs) He was... He wasn't even a colonel of fried chicken. He declared himself Colonel Griffith. Because he's like, I can't go by Griffith Griffith. (laughs) (laughs) I need a new cool name. I don't know who could blame him. It's hard to say. It just doesn't even go together. Griffith Griffith. J. Griffith. Griffith Griffith. 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 Hello, nice to meet you. I'm Griffith Griffith. Yeah, it sounds like a mistake. (laughs) So he's going by Colonel It was October 28th, 1891, and Griffith was sitting in his buggy at the Mm. Catholic Cemetery on Buena Vista Street while his wife Tina and her sister were putting flowers on their recently deceased mother's grave. 
That's when a man in another buggy rolled up and fired a shot from a double-barreled shotgun at Griffith, hitting him in the face. It was a drive-by buggy. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Griffith fell out of the buggy and tried to run off, leaping over the gate of the church sexton's house, his blood dripping everywhere. As the man in the buggy sped off, he managed to fire a second shot into Griffith's shoulder. (gasps) The shooter then drove about 50 feet away to a bridge and fired a shot from a pistol into his own head, killing himself. Damn. The LA Times indelicately described the gory mess left behind. What'd they say? (laughs) They said, shooter blows his brains out. I swear to God. Oh my God. One of my favorite things about reading really old newspapers is just how, like I said, indelicately they put things. Yeah. They're always like a little out of pocket. Yeah. And in this case, they're like, there was brains everywhere all over the, all over the buggy. Eyewitnesses say there was brains on the buggy. <laughs> the headline would be like brains, buggy, you know, bungled, bung, bungled brains, bug. I can't even say it. <laughs> yeah. It would be bad. Some of the bird shot from the shotgun made its way into the house where the church sexton lived with his wife and kid. Ooh. <laughs> his little flap rolled up. Yeah. <laughs> his bib. The buckshot ended up in the crib where the baby was asleep. Oh, shit. But the baby was unharmed. Good. Some bird shot. So the bird shot just like flew into the crib yeah. after it had been fired. The sole witness of the shooting was a man named Jose Ibarra, who helped Griffith at the scene and drove him back to his hotel room where his injuries were treated. So he wasn't even taken to a hospital. He was just treated by a doctor at his hotel room. That's what they did back then. I know. (laughs) The shooter was Frank Burkett, a disgruntled tenant of Griffith's. (gasps) Burkett had leased a piece of Griffith's Rancho Los Feliz to farm ostriches. The lease was for five years, and Burkett paid rent yearly. The lease stipulated that he had the option to buy the property at any point during the five-year lease. He lived on the property in a home he built for $3,000. But Burkett became late on his rent, and Griffith filed a suit against him. During this time, Burkett's home went up in flames, and (gasps) Griffith suspected it was arson done by Burkett to prevent Griffith from ever owning the house that he had built. A total of two lawsuits were filed against Burkett, both of which Griffith won. Needless to say, Burkett was pissed off at this guy. Why can't he burn his own house down? Why can't he? I guess guess you're right. I would do the same thing. (laughs) I paid for that house. He built it. (laughs) Burning it down. That is a good point. He built it. Yes. He paid for the materials. He yeah. built that house. I mean, it's not Griffith's house. Griffith, Griffith's house. <laughs> <laughs> I like that petty guy. Yeah, he was super petty. So he was pissed off, and in the weeks preceding the shooting, Griffith received threats from Burkett, but he shrugged them off as the rantings of a madman. Guess well, they weren't. <laughs> hey, you got to take those seriously, too. Yeah. Discovered in Frank Burkett's pockets on the day of the shooting was a letter that he had written to a friend where he said he was going to take the law into his own hands in regards to Griffith. Bizarrely, another piece of paper was found in his pockets, which was a handwritten note transcribed from a Welsh newspaper that detailed the successes of their hometown boy. So, I mean, 
you must you got to be really mad at somebody and like insane with rage. Yeah, to hand transcribe an article, a fawning article from a Welsh newspaper. Yeah, about this guy you hate. He's got nothing better to do than hate. <laughs> Because of the different kinds of ammo found in Burkett's buggy, it was determined that he had meant to load his gun with buckshot rather than birdshot, mm-hmm. which would have made the shooting fatal. Griffith was lucky to be alive. By 1896, Griffith donated 3,015 acres of Rancho Los Feliz to the city of Los Angeles to be used as a public park. All he asked for in return was that railway fares in the park remain a nickel and that it be named Griffith Park. But given Griffith's reputation for being a dick, a lot of people were suspicious of his motives. Yeah. They're like, there's no way this guy's hmm. just, out of the goodness of his heart, donating this park to the city of Los Angeles. McClure's book cites three possible explanations that people have speculated upon of why he would do this. One, he did it so that he wouldn't have to pay property taxes anymore. Two, he tried to sell it but was unable to sell the property. And three, he did it to appear generous. Hmm. So he did it to like, oh, well, now everyone's going to know I'm a really good guy because I'm donating this to the city. the benefit is still the same. That's true. Right? You could still think he's a dick. (laughs) (laughs) As we said earlier... Griffith called it his Christmas gift to the city, and the papers lauded him for it. The donation also carried the rights to the water from the L.A. River, which runs alongside the park, which oh. was a rather generous donation considering L.A.'s need for water. Right. But Griffith's good press would turn into very bad press mm. in the coming years. And that is where we will take a break. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Griffith, Tina, and their son Van had been staying at the Hotel Arcadia in Santa Monica for about a month, from August to September of 1903. According to Tina, her husband had been stressed and needed a vacation. On the evening of September 3rd, Griffith shot his wife Tina in the face. What? Yes. I mean, he is stressed. (laughs) That's crazy. From her hospital bed, Tina told the LA Times what transpired that night. She was packing their belongings as this was their last night in the hotel before they went home. That's when Griffith entered the room and pointed his pistol at her and said, Get your prayer book. Kneel down and cover your eyes. (gasps) Oh my God. I'm going to shoot you and I'm going to kill you. Tina began begging her husband to put the gun down, but he wouldn't. Instead, he shot her. (gasps) Tina and Griffith had a brief tussle before she escaped him by jumping out of the window of their third floor room. (gasps) 
She fell onto the porch overhang below and broke her shoulder. Holy shit. Tina managed to crawl along the slanted porch overhang and climb into a second floor window. Oh my God. Griffith then called the bellboy and said, uh, my wife's had an accident. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just, that's what he said. It's absurd. It's absurd. He said, well, my wife's had an accident. I need you guys to. He had to like think quick, right? Yeah. Switch the narrative. Yeah. A doctor arrived at the scene and treated Tina there. Griffith hung around the room as the doctor worked on her until finally Tina was like, can someone get my husband the fuck out of the room? Yeah. She did obviously did not want to see him. I mean, it's wild that she was able to survive. How did he like miss so horribly? We're going to talk about the injuries. They're bad. Yeah. We're going to talk about them. Griffith reluctantly left the room, and then he complained about it to people, mm. like other hotel staff. He said, like, can you believe that? Hmm. My wife asked me to leave the room. You shoot her in the face. You can't I'm even be try, in the room. I'm trying to comfort her. <laughs> what, what are you going to do? Women today. Eventually, Tina was taken to the hospital. I'm sure they're like, ah, there's only so much gauze. Yeah. We can pack on this. Because she needed to have the bullet removed from her head. Yeah, it's a little more than the doctor coming in with his little bag. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty crazy that it did take like several hours for them to come to that conclusion. That's like a no-brainer, go to the hospital. They gave her some drugs and gave her some gauze and were like, eh, it should be okay. Oh, my God. The operation was performed immediately. Tina's left eye had to be removed. Oh, my God. When she was shot, the bullet hit the outer edge of her left eye socket, shattering the bone, causing the bullet to split into pieces. One piece of the bullet went through her eyeball. The rest of the bullet landed across her temple, forehead, and scalp, all underneath her skin. One sixteenth of an inch to the right, it would have hit her brain, resulting in death. Tina was in serious condition, but was expected to make a full recovery. Griffith was interviewed by the LA Times the day after the incident. He claimed the shooting was accidental. He said that as he arrived to the hotel room that evening, his wife was packing their belongings in preparation for their departure the next day. He said, quote, Suddenly, a revolver, a hammerless weapon of mine, I believe, was discharged, striking my wife in the face and inflicting a glancing wound across the right side of the forehead. A glancing wound? That's how he described it. That's he's insane. He's describing it like the bullet just grazed her. Yeah, and like what happened was purely luck. Yeah. I mean, the way it split. Yeah. Then Griffith said that his wife was so shocked that she fell out of the window. I cannot believe she got shot like that and was able to climb out the window and escape. Yeah. That's why, especially with her eye. That's like pure adrenaline. Yeah. Because you can't, she couldn't see. It was probably blood was coming down her forehead. You know Everywhere. what I mean? Like, yeah. And they were worried, doctors were worried that she was going to lose the other eye too. Oh, damn. Just from all the damage. So Griffith said that Tina fell out of the window by accident instead of jumping out of the window to escape from him. 
he, uh, the Times reporter then asked him, well, where in the room was she? Was she standing or sitting when the gun went off? And Griffith replied, now I'm not so sure. I was just so stunned and bewildered. I think she was standing over the trunk and placing clothing in it. The hammer of the pistol must have struck against the edge of the trunk. The reporter said, wait a minute. So it wasn't a hammerless revolver? Because you said it was a hammerless revolver. So how could the hammer of the pistol have accidentally struck against the trunk? Griffith replied, why, uh, yes, I think it was. Yes, I think so. But I cannot be perfectly sure. Yes, sir. The weapon belongs to me, and I've had it for some time. He continued saying that his wife probably was holding the gun, but he couldn't explain why she would have been holding it. Right. He then denied rumors that he had had a fight with his wife before the shooting. He said, my wife's a Catholic and she doesn't believe in that. Fighting? That's what he said. (laughs) The reporter asked how far away the trunk was to the window where he said that his wife fell. Griffith said it was very close to the window, maybe a few feet. But the reporter fired back. Well, the window of the room is actually at the far end of a narrow gable way where the trunk was, so... Is that not correct? Griffith said, yes, that's correct. (laughs) When asked if he had been drinking heavily that day, Griffith said no, he hadn't had anything to drink. In fact, he said, he's cut down on drinking in general. Tina's brother-in-law, which was her sister's husband, a guy named Mr. Whipple, he (laughs) told... Sorry. (laughs) That's like such an old name. Mr. Whipple? Whipple. (laughs) He told the Times that Griffith and Tina had fought about religion in the past. (sighs) Tina was a devout Catholic, and Griffith apparently hated Catholics. They argued about how they were going to raise their son. Oh. In this same article, the Times claimed that word on the street was that the Griffith's marriage had been strained for a while. The Times said that Griffith had been drinking lately and that it's well known in L.A. he's a peculiar man. Yeah. The article also said that Griffith was known to become violent when he was drunk. Tina's official statement to the district attorney was printed in the L.A. Times. The statement began with a recounting of the hours before the shooting. She said there had been no unpleasantness whatsoever between the two of them. Later, while she was packing, he went up to the hotel room to help her pack. Everything was fine for a moment when suddenly he forced her to her knees at gunpoint and demanded she close her eyes and answer a series of questions. First, he asked her if, he was, if she was involved with poisoning Briswalter. Then he asked, have you been implicated with or do you know of anyone giving me poison? Whoa. Then he asked, have you always been faithful to our marriage vows? While Tina was in the middle of answering the question, he shot her. Damn. Tina told the DA that for the last few years, her husband had become paranoid about being poisoned. This was like his big thing. Post-shoot, post-his assassination attempt, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. She said, quote, even at the hotel, I had to order the meal for the whole family instead of individual orders because he would then exchange portions with us. <gasps> like if she got, if everyone got their own thing at the yeah. hotel, he'd be like, well, I'm, I'm switching plates with you. Ugh. Which sucks if like he ordered something. Yeah, I don't want fucking liver. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's I, what they probably have yeah, I'd be so dead. He would have killed me long ago. <laughs> 
I'd be like, no. Griffith's secretary told the Times that he was convinced that Tina's family was pressuring her to accuse her husband of attempted murder. But Tina explained that she was afraid of her husband, that she believed that she needed to get the law involved. After a warrant was issued to arrest Griffith... It's kind of crazy he hasn't been arrested yet. No. It's like, like seriously, he's, like... He's arrested a few days later. Oh, my God. So a warrant's issued to arrest Griffith. Police can't find him all day, though. Mm. So they're searching all over town, and they start with every bar in town. <laughs> he's got ostrich plumes all around him. He's incognito on the farm. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they would go into a saloon or bar and just miss him by 10 minutes. Oh, my God. And this was happening all over town. According to witnesses, he had been drinking all over the city. He was finally located at the home of his friend, Dr. Griffith. No relation. What the hell? <laughs> this is like an <laughs> epidemic. <laughs> he, Griffin they, Griffith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what this guy's last name is. They found him at this guy's house at 11 p.m., Griffith was arrested and charged with assault to murder, which back then was like attempted murder. He was released on $15,000 bond. He was unusually chipper during all of this, making small talk about the fig trees at his friend's house. But the next day, Griffith spent all day sobbing at Dr. Griffith's house, whining about being arrested. Yeah. The LA Times reported he cried like a child. (gasps) He was then removed from the park commission a few days later. Oh, damn. They were like, we, this guy yeah. can't be on the park commission. He's been arrested for attempted murder. Yeah, he's bringing shame to the park. And But we can't change the park's name. It's too late. We already made a plaque. How vindicated does her brother feel? Oh, my God. <laughs> he's like, told you. He must be <laughs> vibrating. <laughs> Tina would remain in the hospital for a month. Oh, my God. She then stayed at her sister's house when she got out. Ahead of the trial, a divorce settlement was reached among Griffith's and Tina's lawyers. Griffith was to pay Tina $62,000, as well as pay the medical bills and living expenses since the shooting. In today's money, she was awarded $2.1 million. Good. Griffith asked that his wife not proceed with the criminal complaint against him. (sighs) After, like, that settlement, he's like, well... Come on, let's call it even. Can we, can we also not do the trial? But Tina's lawyer was like, fuck off. She was smart to get that money first. Yes, so smart. Her lawyer also told Griffith, oh, and by the way, Tina will absolutely be testifying at the trial. Yeah, I love it. So be prepared. <laughs> the trial began February 1904, Griffith pled insanity. The defense would argue that Griffith was suffering from alcoholic insanity. Mm. The prosecution did not believe that being a drunk made it okay to attempt to murder your wife. Then everyone would get off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty wild. Prosecutor Henry T. Gage said, are we to say that because this man has been a drunken hog in secret most of his (laughs) life? The hog seems a little extra. (laughs) He's throwing in some extra insults there. Honestly, I've read a lot of coverage of these old-timey trials, but this is one of the bitchiest trials I have ever read. 
this I had, hog. I had to stop myself because it was like 7 p.m. tonight and I was still writing. Oh, my God. And I had to stop. It's so funny. But these lawyers, the de- both the defense and the prosecution, are some bitchy queens. Love it. And we're going to get into that. So, yes, right off the bat, opening statements, basically. <laughs> the, DA, <laughs> the DA calls Griffith J. Griffith a drunken hog. And he, he says, um, are we... Are we to say that because this man has been a drunken hog in secret most of his life, he may, he may in this beautiful state of ours, slaughter the innocent with impunity? Wow. Drama. Tina Griffith arrived in court wearing sunglasses and a black veil. Ooh. She was horribly disfigured underneath. But still glamorous. But very glam when she arrived. This is like Joan Collins or something. Totally. <laughs> She was asked to remove her veil and sunglasses and show each juror her eye socket. Oh, my God. So they got an up-close view of the damage inflicted upon her by her husband. This is like a stunt that would not be accepted today, I think. They yeah. would be like objecting all over the place. <laughs> they would be objecting. Because it's pretty um, prejudicial. I mean, I don't care. I but think, like, well, you could show a picture today, obviously. Right. But to have her there, like, you want to see my eye socket? Right. It's definitely more dramatic. Yes. When Tina was asked to recount the moments before she was shot, she burst into tears. <gasps> she said, quote, he told me to take my prayer book and get down on my knees that he had some questions to ask me. Griffith, she said, then pulled out a card that had these questions written on them. This very card was entered into evidence and was shown in court. Tina said, he only asked me three questions and then he shot me. She then explained her escape from the third floor window. Tina was questioned about a statement that she made about her husband after she was shot. She said, don't let him in. He was crazy. Tina clarified that she said he was crazy being an offhanded remark because he was acting crazy. Right. I mean, you can call someone who shot you. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. It's colloquial. She's like, I didn't mean he was literally insane. Yeah. Like he's trying to claim. Um, that whole deal that he did to her is psychopath like that is crazy yeah it's sick it's sick this must have been like a needle you could hear a needle drop a pin drop when when she's she's testifying because this story would be riveting yeah tina told of two separate incidents in the past in which her husband had threatened to kill her at one point tina had asked her husband to swear an oath that he wouldn't drink again On cross-examination, the defense tried to get Tina to admit that she believed her husband was insane. They focused a great deal on the fact that in her statement from her hospital bed, she said her husband looked, quote, peculiar. In her official statement to the DA, she said he looked determined. So they were like, well, why'd you say he looked peculiar? What does peculiar mean? Does that mean he had a, a crazed look in his eye? Yeah. What's peculiar? They really, really focused on this. Right. But the judge grew tired of the excessive focus on Tina's choice of words and finally said to defense attorney Earl Rogers, well, I think you have laid about enough stress on that for one word. DA Gage chimed in, I agree. The judge shot back, well, my remarks apply to both sides. 
Oh. He thought it was a little goody two shoes. <laughs> I agree. Shut up. <laughs> you're you're no better. <laughs> Sit your ass down. <laughs> a little. I agree, Your Honor. <laughs> On redirect, D.A. Gage asked Tina to state who her father was. Mm. This was to show that Tina came from a great deal of money, giving motive for Griffith to kill her. The defense objected. D.A. Gage was like, Your Honor, this is important. And the judge was just over it at this point. He didn't think this was necessary, and he said in an exhausted tone, Very well, if you want to go into the settlement of a lot of old estates... This judge is an icon. I love this judge. (laughs) By the way, these are all direct quotes from the newspaper. Wow. Tina told the court that she inherited $17,000 from her father's estate when he died and that she had no will at the time of the shooting. The prosecution indicated that the money would have gone to her husband in the event of her death. The defense shot back, asking Tina, isn't it true that the inheritance from her father she was awarded was only $500? Yes, she said, but we hired lawyers and got it to $17,000. Wow. The questioning was over, but when Tina stood to stand, she fainted, (gasps) causing pandemonium in the courthouse. The ultimate trial move. Mm. (laughs) Fainting on the stand. It's a classic. (laughs) Earl Rogers, the defense attorney, started then asking random people in the courtroom if they thought it was his fault she fainted. <laughs> did, I, did I do something? Did I, do, hey, do you think that I was... I wasn't doing it. I was just acting, asking normal questions. He literally job. did that. Yeah. Next, a woman named Sarah Klein testified to Griffith's history of abuse. She witnessed a fight between Griffith and Tina in the year 1900 at the Nadeau Hotel. Wow. Nadeau. 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 Well, she was at that hotel. Seeing things. And she said, I saw them fighting, and it was not good. Yeah. A real estate agent testified for the prosecution the amount of money that was paid to Griffith from the Briswalder land. The prosecution, he testified about that money. The prosecution said, quote, We want to show that the money of the Briswalter estate was paid to Colonel Griffith and that his wife was continually demanding it. So he was getting all the money from this tract of land. That was hers. That was hers. And she was asking for some of it. And he's now complaining? (laughs) Yeah. Next, proprietor of the Hotel Arcadia testified. The LA Times noted that this man, Mr. A.D. Wright, wanted to cover up the attempted murder because he didn't want his hotel to get a bad name. Wow. The Times really threw this guy under the bus. Like, this is the same Wright (laughs) who tried to cover up the murder because he didn't want people to not stay at his hotel. How'd that work out for you? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Wright told of Griffith's hatred of his wife's devout Catholicism. He stated that following the shooting, Griffith told him his wife accidentally shot herself. Tina's sister Lucille testified about a conversation she had with Griffith after the shooting in which he said, well, at least it's just her eye that got hurt. Jesus. And she said that she responded, what? What the fuck? (laughs) And Griffith said... Look, I had some eye problems myself a couple years ago. 
Damn. And Lucille was like, that's not the same thing. <laughs> like how he's like, her eye got hurt. <laughs> it's like, no, she got her eye. It's gone. <laughs> you blew it out. <laughs> that's crazy. Lucille also stated that at that time, Griffith told her that Tina accidentally shot herself. Griffith's stepmother testified to how he stayed with her for over a month after the shooting. She said that, I'm sorry, Griffith's stepmother testified how, yes, so he stayed with his stepmother after the shooting. And she said that he asked her, you don't think I'm a bad guy, do you? What a weirdo. She said that according to Griffith, he had the gun only to scare Tina and that it accidentally went off. Okay, bitch. The next day, defense attorney Rogers told the court that they would show how Griffith drank in private and only smoked cigars around his friends as he was terrified of being poisoned. He continued that his fear of being poisoned was so great that on the night of the shooting, he was driven to the point of pointing a gun at his wife to scare her into admitting it. The defense said that Griffith only planned to scare her and that it was Tina who wrestled the gun away and shot herself. I mean, guns back then did seem to go off really easily, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. But the weird thing is, why not say that it got out of hand? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was using it to scare her, and she grabbed it, and it went off. Do you know what I mean? Like, It's interesting because they kind of have two defenses here. They obviously have, I was insane, and that's why I was pointing a gun at my wife in the first place. Right. But, oh, she, she technically pulled the trigger. Right. Which still is your fault right. for bringing the gun into the situation. But they keep mentioning that. Yeah. Like, she shot herself yeah. by accident. The Times reported on the humiliation Griffith must have felt as his defense team rolled in a parade of witnesses who would testify to their client's lack of sanity. <laughs> the Times said, quote, He sat there while his own lawyers explained to the jury that he had thought of himself the greatest man in the world and had been so swelled up and pompous that it went beyond the point of sanity. Griffith's barber testified for the defense. He was a real hit in the courtroom. Everyone loved this barber. Defense attorney Brown asked him, What is your business? He replied, I'm a tonsorial artist. Oh, boy. He replied with a smirk. (laughs) He like probably looked around. Yeah, I've been planning that, that one. <laughs> He's like, I'm a sandwich his artist. Wife, his wife's like, ugh, you shut <laughs> up. Because <laughs> he uses it a lot. He's, she's heard this 50 times. Yeah. He then clarified he was a barber and that he shaved Griffith every day. Damn. The barber testified that Griffith would often rant about how he believed the Catholics were trying to poison him and that his wife was in on it. The barber also said that Griffith would brag about how in demand he was for dinner parties. Wow. Like, everyone wants to invite me to dinner parties. I'm so great at conversation. I'm such a hit at these parties. He talked about how donating the park to the city of L.A. had made him very popular. Wow. Dr. Brainerd testified for the defense. He said that Griffith's delusions were common with alcoholic insanity. Let's take a brief sidebar here to say that this is obviously taking place in 1904, which was a relatively early point in time to refer to alcoholism as an illness. At least then, it wasn't as commonly believed as such. Right. It wasn't 
common to say that. In fact, the American Medical Association wouldn't classify alcoholism as an illness until 1956. However, there are doctors dating back to the late 1700s who would come to this conclusion. A few doctors. But it would still remain a very uncommon position for a long time. Now, let's be clear here. This is not a common symptom of alcoholism to attempt to murder your wife. Right. It was just interesting from a historical standpoint that this was a very early example of them using alcoholic insanity as a defense. It's also... In court. It's interesting because I feel like we did have a case once where the guy refused to have um, the insanity defense because he didn't want to be considered insane. Yes. Wasn't that... I can't remember which case it was. That sounds very familiar. Yeah. And it was kind of an interesting choice because he'd be like, I'd rather be guilty than have me publicly be declared insane or something like that. Right. Um, Yeah. Like I said, if it's not clear, I think this is a, a wild leap to make that... I mean, you're still responsible for your actions. You're still yeah. responsible. <laughs> Even for if you're drunk, unfortunately. You're still like, responsible, and it's obviously, like I said, not a common symptom of alcoholism to do this. Right. You you might do a lot of other awful, hurtful things, but not everyone. It's not like, oh, you you might murder your wife. I mean, they have other issues going on Yeah. besides the alcohol. Yeah. Dr. Brainerd recounted the conversations that he had had with Griffith, the paranoia about being poisoned, and that the Catholic Church was behind it. He said Griffith claimed that he had been poisoned with belladonna in his milk. (gasps) During Cross, the doctor admitted that it was possible for a sane man to have some weird ideas, but he said not this many weird ideas. (laughs) Another doctor testified for the defense, saying that Griffith drank a pint of whiskey every day. On cross, D.A. Gage asked him, don't men frequently get delusions by the time they get to the bottom of the bottle? The doctor explained that Griffith thought his wife was fucking a porter at the Hotel Fremont. (gasps) Wow. So he's like, that added to him being insane. Um, There was a lot of back and forth, like, don't you think jealousy, like a a lot of men can feel jealousy in their relationships? Does that mean they're insane? Yeah. A bartender testified that Griffith was frequently drunk at his saloon and would go off about what a great, important man he was. One night, Griffith begged the bartender to go with him to a bathhouse. And on the way there, he said that Griffith was scared and that he would only drink if they could drink from the same bottle. Wow. Now... This wasn't the bathhouse about how you and me might think about a bathhouse. I had to like look up where they would have gone at this time. I think it was like a spa with like steam rooms Hot and stuff. Steam. Yeah. It wasn't like they're going to like get fucked. <laughs> so Griffith and this bartender are, I guess, maybe driving a buggy drunk to this bathhouse. And Griffith is like, I'm only going to continue drinking. If we drink from the same bottle, D.A. Gage asked the bartender, what does that mean, drink from the same bottle? The bartender replied, as you probably know, it means drinking with glasses, not really drinking out of the same bottle. The bartender said this smiling, baring his gold teeth. Gage said, why does this excite you? It doesn't excite (laughs) me at all. I only thought you ought to know better. Gage, (sighs) why do you say that? Bartender, 
Well, I've been out drinking with you several times. <laughs> Why would the prosecutor go down that road knowing? <laughs> the, the courtroom burst into laughter. Got him. Gage was presumably turning beet red at this moment. Oh, my God. He then asked the bartender, when did you ever see me drink? How long ago? Tell me a single time. But the judge was like, I'm not going to allow these questions. (laughs) I've had enough of this. This is not not pertinent to the case. What a weenie. (laughs) J.B. Neville, a broker who knew Griffith from the Jonathan Club, testified that he was the butt of the joke at the club. Damn. I mean, this this has got to be rough for Griffith, who's hearing all these people be like, this guy is a fucking nuts. Yeah. He did. He said... Everyone thought he was nutty. He seems so irritating. Another member of the Jonathan Club, a guy named L.R. Garrett, was asked how he used to make fun of Griffith at the club. He's like, tell me about how you and your buddies would pick on Griffith. (laughs) What'd you guys say? (laughs) What'd you guys say? (laughs) This man was reduced to tears by the time (gasps) District Attorney Gage was done cross-examining him. Oh, my God. Ira J. Francis, an electrician for the city, called Griffith vain, egotistical, stingy, and boozy. Ooh. Joseph Seaman, a bartender... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Joe Seaman, a bartender at the Jonathan Club, said Griffith would frequently be like, don't poison me. Oh, my God. And then the district attorney said at that point, they got him again, Desi, because the district attorney said, well... Don't some people refer to alcohol as poison? And that's when the bartender replied, this bartender from the Jonathan Club? Well, you would know. Oh, damn. Yeah. A doctor who was only named as Spitzka. Oh. (laughs) Not even a doctor, just Spitzka. I'm not going to him. (laughs) He testified. Now, the L.A. Times quipped, Spitzka sounds like the battle cry of an indignant tomcat. (laughs) Spitzka. (laughs) The Times elsewhere referred to Dr. Spitzka as Spitzy. Jeez. They had no respect for this man. Sorry. (laughs) They they had... (laughs) They just like not respecting him because of his name. Yeah. That's That's what's crazy. (laughs) Spitz, old Spitzy here. I don't think so. (laughs) Where'd you get your medical license? (laughs) (laughs) But the prosecution had plenty of their own doctors who would testify that Griffith was sane. He may be a drunk, but he's not insane. At one point during the trial, a, quote, portly woman in red began laughing at defense attorney Rogers, ranting and raving. (laughs) Can I just say, this woman is my hero. I love her. She's this woman in the front row of, at the, in the courtroom. Wearing red. She's wearing red. She immediately starts, she bursts into laughter because this defense attorney is getting so heated. Oh my God, what a queen. During some moment. In an, att- in an attempt to stifle her laughs, she shut her mouth as the sound escaped in a hiss. <laughs> you know when you're trying yes. to not laugh and you're like... Sss. Yeah. That's what happened. Rogers thought this woman was hissing at him. Oh. And he whipped around, furious, and began screaming, Someone is hissing at me! (laughs) These men are so dramatic. He then noticed the woman in red. 
He recognized her. (gasps) He shouted, there is a woman who comes to every case I try and does this. (laughs) Wait, she's even better than I thought. (laughs) She brings her lunch so she will not lose her place in court. (laughs) I love picturing her like, shit, I got busted. Oh my god! She's eating her sandwich in the. She's trying to quietly eat her sandwich. Oh my god! Why do I want an episode on her? I fucking love. Well, we're gonna get an episode on her possibly because this woman happened to be the sister of a murder victim in a case that Rogers, the defense attorney, had tried. So previous. I guess previously. Oh, so she's got a little beef with him. She's got some kind of beef with him. I even though. The guy who killed her brother was convicted. Right. But she, maybe she just still thinks he's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love her. (laughs) The woman was embarrassed, but not embarrassed enough that she didn't show up the very next day with her lunch for trial. Yeah. She's not stopping. She's, She's like, this case is juicy. Yeah. Griffith J. Griffith was found guilty and sentenced to two years in prison. That's it. He was also ordered to pay a $5,000 fine. During sentencing, Judge Smith said, Mr. Griffith, the circumstances connected with this assault are very aggravated. The assault was made upon your wife, a woman who for 16 years had been faithful and true and loving and kind and self-sacrificing. At the time of the assault, Mr. Griffith, you caused this woman to kneel. You subjected her upon a prayer book of her church to the most revolting, gross, unmanly, and degrading questions that a man could possibly propound to his (sighs) wife. And while she was thus kneeling, you presented a loaded revolver at her face. He continued describing how Tina begged for her life, but he shot her anyway sending her leaping through a third-floor window and how she lost her eye because of it. Griffith was then sent to San Quentin, where he remained for 20 months. Damn. And that is the story of Griffith J. Griffith's trial. Oh, my God. I had no idea about this dude. He obviously lived years after this. Right. Tina... Lived, she lived till 1948, and she had custody of their son. Good. When Griffith did get out of prison, he apparently got into prison reform, which is good, but obviously that was inspired by the no doubt shitty conditions of of living in an American prison. Yeah. And uh, one good thing he did, I guess some years later, is we got the Griffith Observatory. Oh. Because that came around the teens, the 19-teens, I believe. Interesting. So he paid for that. I don't know if he paid for it. I had to wrap this episode up. He put his name on it. But he definitely was like, we need an observatory. Right. Interesting. Well, what a hog. Aren't you going (laughs) to think about this man differently the next time you roll into Griffith Park? I mean, I had no idea... That it was even named after someone. Well, who would it? What would it have been named? I don't after? know. Maybe it was Griffith Street. <laughs> but, but what would that? Have been I have no idea. 
I didn't know. You're, I just didn't know. It's like I didn't think about it. I didn't like. I wasn't like, who is this named after? Right. <laughs> I just didn't think of it. No, I didn't either. Um, like even Los Feliz. That's the guy's name. That's right? that guy. Yeah. I mean, obviously, every city and street might be a name, but it's also sometimes random. Yeah, it's like poplar or like yeah. maple. Right. So I just didn't think about it. Mm. But yeah, you can picture some old guy in like a sepia toned photo. He's got like that's a, Griffith Griffith. He's got like a bowler hat. <laughs> was he hot? No. God I mean, no. I wasn't he, thinking he, he was. You didn't even you have that know. going for him. No. I mean, at least if you're gonna be a dick, at least be hot about it. Seriously. Uh pick a struggle. He's too busy drinking. He is too busy. Um, we will post some pictures of this man and of Tina Mesmer Griffith. And what on... about the beautiful woman in red? We, we need to I've decided that I'm going to look more into this case because there is information on this case. Right. I, fa- I found it. And we will possibly be discussing that case not next week, but the week after. Right. Okay. So depending on what I dig up, if it's interesting... If yeah. there's information, more information about this sister, this right. woman in red, <laughs> we'll let you know. I mean, that seems like a fun movie or something, like this woman's story yeah. or a book or something. That she goes to all the court cases in L.A. Yes. With like, her popcorn. I would like be interested in hearing her story. Very curious about this woman. Yes. She wasn't named in the paper, but I do have her last name. And we will look into it. I mean, what a little nice cameo for her. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) These guys have no chill, though. Like, I would have just said nothing, but he, like, told on himself and made it even funnier. (laughs) That she... (laughs) (laughs) She laughs at me every time. I just love picturing what she was doing. Like, what? (laughs) Who, me? And she's, like, just trying to quietly... Like, I like to picture she was mid-sandwich bite when he, like, turned on her. And she's, like, trying to quietly put it away. Oh, God. Anyway, we'll see you very soon for our mini episode. Yes. Goodbye. And we're we're after show. Uh After show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.